Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, got it, got it, got it! 33! Center field, Marsh leaps, and he got it! Normally, high fly ball, deep left field. Oh, 27 does it again for this year. Wall sends it well out to left center field, and it's gone. He went to Jared. Way diving catch, Jordan. This is Brandon Marsh, the Los Angeles Angels baseball. You listen to All Angels podcasts. And welcome to another edition of the All Angels Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Garcia. So there was some good news this weekend, and there was some bad news this weekend. The good news, the good stuff happened on Saturday, and we'll get to that in a second. But we'll start off by talking about Friday's game and coming into the series against the New York Mets after finally breaking the 14-game losing streak. The Angels were definitely, and I'm sure the fans too, we're definitely looking for brighter uh, brighter days ahead for the Angels, being able to now kind of feel like they got the weight off their shoulders and are able now to kind of open up and hopefully get back on some kind of run that they had at the beginning of the year. But obviously playing against the New York Mets, the team that leads the NL with, uh, with the record, wouldn't make it easy for the Angels at all. So going into Friday night, they had Jonathan Diaz on the mound for the Angels. And SoCal native, I didn't know this until they are talking about it on the game, you had Taylor Tyler McGill pitching for the uh, Mets and him coming off the IL, um, kind of hoping the Angels would take advantage of that. Maybe he had some rest or maybe there was some stuff he has still had to work through coming off the IL. And they did kind of get to him a little bit early. McGill only went three and a third innings, giving up five hits and two earned runs. But Diaz wasn't any better. Actually, he was worse. Diaz, Jonathan Diaz, who just got called up from AAA before this game, ended up only going two and two, or one, sorry, one and two thirds innings, giving up five hits, three runs, and two walks. So obviously, both sides of this game. The starting pitching wasn't great, but for the Angels where you still kind of have, or at least I do, still have some questions about that bullpen, felt it was going to be a very long game once this happened. You almost need to give this team a fighting chance. You almost need to have the starting pitcher go at least five. I mean, that's probably like the bare minimum right now with the way the Angels are playing. But Jonathan Diaz did not give him that struggling early, like I mentioned, early in the game. And it would all come in the second inning, where to start the second inning, Jonathan Diaz gives up back-to-back singles to the Mets, followed out by two lineouts that you thought, a strikeout and a lineout that you thought, okay, cool, he's going to get through this, he's going to get out of it. But unfortunately, uh, Thomas Nito comes up, ends up hitting a base hit, 
scoring one run. He ends up walking the next guy, and now the mound visits happen, and now you're trying to figure out a way to get out of this inning, which you already have two outs in, and you're really hoping that this young guy is going to be able to get through this jam, get through this inning, but it didn't happen um, until after he gives up another two runs from a double from XA's Mark Cannon. That was his fourth double of the year, making the score 3-0. And that would be it for Jonathan Diaz as Archie Bradley comes in and gets a walk, walks Francisco Lindor, and then ends up getting Pete Alonso to pop out to end that second inning. But like I mentioned, for this team to win, it truly feels like you need to get that starting pitcher into the fifth inning to have a fighting chance. And once that happened on Friday night, I had a real, real hard time thinking the Angels were going to mount uh, any kind of comeback during that game. But the Angels do cut into the lead in the in the bottom of that second inning with Brandon Marsh, our boy Brandon Marsh, with his fifth home run of the year to make the score 3-2. to two. Joe Adele will end up singling right after Brandon Marsh, and you're hoping at that point you're going to be able to get a little bit of momentum going to get that run, get another run across the tightest score. But Taylor Wade and Andrew Velasquez would both be grounded out. That would end the inning, and the Mets would still be up 3-2 after 2. And it would stay that score all the way until the top of the fourth where the Mets add one run, and then they end up adding three more runs in the sixth inning to give them seven runs, and that's all the Mets would need as they beat the Angels in the first game of the series, 7-3 on Apple TV+. And and we're talking about a little bit about the broadcast. I I think I said this before on the podcast, or maybe it was a live stream. I'm not 100% sure, but the Apple TV+, Plus. I don't know. I think they have a lot of things to do to make it better. And this, I think, honestly, this is all with national televised games. A, the Angels don't play very well in nationally televised games. I've noticed that. But two... As Angel fans, and maybe you guys listening recognize it as well, when they start talking about the Angels and maybe stuff that's happened over the last couple weeks, I feel like they are very vague and they don't give great information about the team because they are nationally, you know, national broadcast. They're not following the team every single day like the fans or like Gooby and Patrick O'Neill who do the games every day. So, these nationally televised games, to me, I they're okay, but I just I'm not a big fan of Apple TV Plus. I'm not a big fan of ESPN. I just feel like there's. I wish there was a way to put a person that does the TV for each team in the booth with whatever uh, broadcast is doing it, just so you do have some kind of a local or not local kind, but like a like person tied to the team that can have the right information and have up-to-date stuff because a lot of times when they're talking it just feels like it, it doesn't make sense or they're talking about something that happened like three weeks ago that they're saying like oh so-and-so just came back from the il and it's like well he came back like almost a month ago so it just feels weird it sounds weird but I, you know hopefully they fix that up because i think the angels have one more game on apple tv plus the visual part of it is cool the visual part of it looks pretty cool but yeah the broadcasters and the people in the booth because they're not you know angel employed or bally sports employed people that follow the team every single day i feel like everything's just very very vague and you're, you're not really missing like with gooby and, and patrick o'neill i feel like if you don't watch a full broadcast all the way through there's probably a couple things you might miss that will help you as a baseball fan or even an angel fan whether it's the pitch mix of a certain player or whether it's the history of a certain player or whether it's 
what you do in this situation when when you have a fastball like Noah Syndergaard or when you have a splitter like Shohei Otani. Like they'll mention, like, okay, this is the time where you do this and that. I feel like with the national televised games, you don't get that kind of insight, and it's kind of disappointing when you're so used to getting stuff like that on a daily basis with guys who follow the team every single day. So we're going to jump around a little bit here. We're going to go straight from Friday's game to Sunday's game because Saturday's game was a lot of fun, and I want to have a little bit more time to talk about that. So let's jump into Sunday's game really quick. Coming off that huge victory on Saturday, the Angels looking for a series win, which would be the first time that they won a series in uh, probably since the beginning of May, to tell you the truth. They mentioned on the broadcast that they haven't won back-to-back games since May, like, 13th 14th something around there something that's like getting past a month now and it's very scary especially if this team wants to compete for that playoff spot you need to start putting you know you don't need to put long streaks together you don't need to put 10 12 game streaks together like Atlanta is doing right now but you do need to put together a three game winning streak here and there a four game winning streak here and there but this game would be on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball two things off the bat that caught my eye or not really caught my eye but I think played a big factor in this game before a ball was even thrown was the fact that Shohei Otani was uh, rested this game did not play this game and I don't disagree with it coming out news coming coming out during the game that it was actually Shohei Otani who approached Phil Nevin Saturday night about possibly taking Sunday off with a Monday off date so for that aspect, okay, I understand that he does need a time, a day off here and there. This is Shohei's second, only his second game off all season long. And when you think about what he does for the team as far as both pitching and hitting at a high level, only having two days off and we are already uh, pretty much the halfway point in June is pretty crazy. So that didn't have any kind of... Like, it didn't get me upset or anything like that. I completely understood it. I don't care. I know some people were like, well, you're playing the Mets. You need all hands on deck. Um, To me, I don't think that really matters too much just because, okay, if you sit, if you don't sit Otani now, you have, yeah, you have an off day on Monday, but after that, you play two against the Dodgers. And are you going to rest them against them? Because they're a good team too. And then let's say you don't because they are a good team. And then are you going to rest him against Seattle, which Seattle is a divisional opponent that honestly, those wins can probably affect your division race or your wild card wild card race than two NL teams that, yes, they are good, but, you know, you always want to beat the people in your division. So I'm not too worried about the, the opponent they decided to rest Shohei against. I was more like, OK, cool. He was up front and was able to tell, you know, Nevin that he needed an extra day which hopefully will pay off in the future when he does get back on the mound in Seattle or, or when he does get back to the plate against the Dodgers on Tuesday. So I wasn't too worried about that. I thought, you know, the timing was good. It was good to get him his second day off all season long. But the point after that, the the the, the moves that happened because of that after Otani was decided to get rested really, really raised an eyebrow to me. And you kind of saw this on... Saturday night, late in Saturday night's, Saturday night's game, when the lead was kind of out of hand, you saw Trout come out because he is coming back from that hip or, or hip or not hip groin injury. And instead of I thought it would be a very easy move to bump 
you know, obviously Marsh the center or even Lagares the center. Lagares has been there while Marsh has been injured also. And, you know, he's not the best option, I feel. I think obviously that would be Brandon Marsh. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. But Lagares, okay, that's fine. But I don't understand why when you do have two options, why you decide to put Wade uh, in center field, probably the most, you know, you, you always have to put your best fielder out in center and they put Wade out in center on Saturday night and then also on Sunday morning because Trout was taking the DH spot since Otani was resting. And I don't understand why you do that. I don't understand why you have uh, an ex-gold glove um, outfielder and possibly a future gold glove winner in the other corner outfield, and you don't put either one of them in center. To me, that was a huge, huge red flag to me. That was a huge, you know, one of those things they always hate in baseball. The ball will find you. And that's exactly what happened early in this game when Taylor Wade uh, was in center field. He made the play. It didn't look pretty, but he did go back and make the play. But in the bottom of the first inning, it looked like the Angels were going to pick up right where they left off from the night before when Mike Trout hits a line drive to left field that scores Brandon Marsh, who led off the game with a double, putting the Angels up 1-0. But that lead would only last until the third inning when um, Sterling Marte doubled on a line drive that went over Taylor Wade's head that I think would have been very, very... I'm not going to sit here and say it was an easy play, but I have to like my chances. Everyone has to like their chances a lot better of him making that play if Lagaris or Marsh were out there in center field. He got a terrible read on it, and then when he found out he had a terrible read on it, for him to go back and try to make up for it, which he does have the speed for, it just looked like he didn't know how to do it. Like he was just running and throwing his hands in the air, hoping that the ball lands in his glove instead of, I feel like, knowing how to actually go back and get a ball, which you would learn as, you know, you work your way through the system as an outfielder that Marsh and, and Lagares would have been very capable of doing. And this is a perfect example where I think, I don't know if it's the idea of having every extra player being utility guy or what I, I, I truly believe that this team needs to have a fourth outfielder and not have a guy that, is like infield wise, if you have a utility infielder that can play like, you know, third, second and short. OK, I can understand that because you're still yes, the angles are different. And yes, um, it's kind of, it's a different position overall, but you're still in the infield. You're still the idea is still the same where if you're going from the infield to the outfield, I believe that's a whole different kind of mentality of, of how you play that position. And to have your fourth outfielder be primarily like a second baseman or a shortstop, I think is a very very bad idea for the Angels, especially a team that necessarily has been struggling defensively in the last couple of days or last about week or so. The defense of this team has gone slightly down a little bit since, again, their winning streak. So which one is reflective of what? I don't know. But I, it just feels like you're not really setting up the defense the best way you can when you make a decision like that. I, like I mentioned, if you have to use Wade in the outfield, I believe there's there's right field there's left I believe there's other places you can put him but in center field with the with the space out there at Angel Stadium you definitely need some guy that that's been able to do it in the past and I don't understand why Marsh why Marsh wasn't the guy to be put in center field to start the game I have ideas why and they're all kind of um 
what's the word speculatory and um conspiracy theory type of stuff but we can talk a little bit about that later but yeah so the Mets would end up scoring a run in the third inning to, to tie the score one one they would end up getting a the Mets would end up getting another run off a JD Martinez JD Davis sorry wrong team JD Davis home run to make the score two zero and this was still a game where you felt the Angels could strike at any point, especially showing the power they had on Saturday night. You felt that at any point during a, well, pretty much was a day game. Balls usually fly a little bit better during day games than they do at night games, that there were just one run away. And even though he showed he struggled at times, and even though he showed probably not his best stuff, Patrick Sandoval definitely had a very good outing going six innings, giving up eight hits, two runs, two walks, eight strikeouts and the one J.D. Davis home run. So he wasn't necessarily the sharpest he's been in his time with the Angels, but it was still a very, very good outing by Patrick Sandoval on a big stage. I would like to see him maybe go for one more inning just because his pitch count was at 87 and wasn't necessarily huge. You're already going to get pretty much an extra day off because of the off day Monday. So he's going to get an extra day a built-in off day. So, um, I would have liked to see him go a little bit deeper. It did not happen. Aaron Loop came in. After hitting the very first pitcher he faced, he ends up walking Sterling Marte, again, with no outs. First two guys on, not necessarily the best um, the best start to an inning, but he did end up helping himself a little bit when he caught Brandon Nemo, uh, trying to steal third base. Great pickoff move. Uh, had him dead to rights. It, it was one of the best pickoff moves you've probably seen all year long, and that helps. You feel like that could have been a momentum swing. That could have been a momentum uh, shifter now that you know you went from two on, no outs, to now one on, one out, and something you can um, very easily get out of. Um, and after getting the second out of the inning from Francisco Lindor, now that uh, Sterling Marte is at third, they decide to bring in Archie Bradley and replace or to replace Aaron Loop. I don't know about that. I feel like he was on his way of getting out of that inning. Yes, there was a guy at third, but you had two outs. Yes, I know it was a lefty-righty kind of matchup, and it's Pete Alonso, their big um, home run guy. He ended up hitting a home run later in this game. I... I I guess it was, I was kind of torn. I would like to see Aaron Loop try to get out of it because if you're going to be a good reliever nowadays that there's the three uh, batter minimum rule, you have to be able to get lefties and righties out. And I understand the game was still close at this point and you didn't want to have to give up another run when you felt like your offense was already struggling and already going to have trouble putting runs on the board. But they did go to Archie Bradley. Archie Bradley comes in. Pete Alonzo ends up hitting a ground ball to Matt Duffy who was playing second base in this game. And he just could not put any arm behind this throw to home because uh, at the point of uh, contact, Sterling Marte breaks home and Duffy had to play at the plate and he had him dead to right. He had him and he was just not able to get his legs underneath him. So it made it the throw all arm and Duffy showed that he does not have a good arm. And the, the guy, the runner that should have been out by three feet was safe and they end up scoring another run, making it three to one after the seventh inning. The Mets would end up adding one more run in the top of the ninth off that Pete Alonso home run I was talking about. And that would be it for this game. Angels lose. Angels lose the series, uh, lose this game four to one. And offensively, there was really nothing to get excited about, nothing that 
was going. You know, they scored that first run in the first inning, but after that, it looks like um, Taiwan Walker just really settled in, and the Angels never put him in a really a, a uncomfortable situation again for the rest of the rest of the game. And that's something they did in the first inning with Brandon Marsh leading off for with a double. He a wasn't really comfortable yet, and B he was already a guy on second in scoring position before anything really happened, and it just seemed like the Angels weren't able to do that again and put him in a situation where he was uncomfortable. Outside of Marsh getting two hits, Duffy had two hits, Walsh had a hit, and Trout had a hit. Everybody else uh, for the game had big zeros: Rendon zero, uh, Lagaris. Suzuki, Wade, Velasquez, Rodifo came in for a pitch at all zeros across the board when it came to hits. And it just shows, too, I think, and again, Otani needed a day off. That's plain and simple. But when he is out or Trout's out um, with, with Ward still not back yet, you can see how much this offensive lineup misses those guys. It is something that this team has struggled with for years, and people want to talk about how they haven't won in you know x amount of years and a big part of that all the way through that has been just overall depth every team's going to deal with injury every team's going to deal with their own guy being injured the big guy being injured you mean we we just played the Mets look at the Mets they don't have Scherzer they don't have Syndergaard you know both guys might not be back until middle of July or maybe even later but they have pitching depth behind them and it's been able to um, carry them until those guys are back with the Angels. There hasn't been a lot of depth at all, whether it's pitching depth or uh, lineup depth. We have they have people in the minor leagues that are promising, but at the same time, you can't turn a kid that is promising in another year or two and expect him to um, come up and be some kind of a producer right away. It doesn't happen that way. Even guys now that the Angels have on their rotation and the first person that comes to mind is Patrick Sandoval. I think he was brought up way too soon a couple years ago. I think he, you know, there was probably a better way of doing it. In those first couple years, he struggled. You should, you've seen that he struggled in the major leagues. Now, would it have been easier for him to continue to develop in the minor leagues and then come up, and would it have been better? I don't know. But I think it's pretty obvious to see that if you have high expectations for a guy in, let's say, double-A, and you bring him up straight to the majors, there's a very high chance that he still struggles in the major leagues and he's not that quote-unquote spark that you're going to need for that year. Can he be that spark in the next two years or something like that when he's established and maybe he has gone through his bumps? Yeah, but to think that bringing up a guy like that is going to all of a sudden wake up the staff or all of a sudden wake up um, this team, I, I don't see that. I don't see that kind of move making a huge difference for the team. And coming in, coming into the series, and it happened with Jonathan Diaz on Friday, this sixth spot in the rotation is still a very, very big question mark. There is absolutely no one that has put their foot down and said, this is my spot in the rotation. And I think that hurts the Angels, too, because if you are planning to put a sixth person out there every, you know, every week, you would like a guy that you feel comfortable that can make that start day in and day out, and it just not, has not seemed to be able to find that guy. So every sixth game, for the most part, um, is a shot in the dark is a game that maybe you're not expecting to win. And if those other guys in the, in the rotation aren't sharp and are struggling, then that's just another one to add to the pile. So, you know, people want to say that the angels get a raw deal when it comes to like prospect rankings and, 
and why is it so low when we have this person, that person? And as Angel fans, it sounds great because we know who those guys are, and we have nothing to compare them to compared to you know other other uh, prospects or other systems. But in situations like this, it does show the lack of depth or or MLB ready depth that the that the Angels have in their system, and that's an overall issue that's not going to be fixed this year, and probably won't even be fixed next year. But you have to continue to put good prospects in that organization and in the developmental system. And honestly, the Angels had a big deal when when the COVID season happened. And again, this is uh, this is pre Perry. This is you know obviously pre Nevin. This is. Uh, Joe probably didn't have any saying it. It's probably all the uppers, you know, uh, Carpino and Artie and all those guys. But they got rid of a lot of scouts and a lot of those type of people once the COVID season was going to happen or right before the COVID season happened because of all the lost money that they had. So now when it comes to scouting players and developing players, are they on the same tier as some of the higher ups you know developmental systems in the majors i don't know i don't think so and this that's just going to hurt the, the the team overall when it comes to hey we have an injury in you know in the outfield do we have an outfielder that is ready to contribute positively in the majors doesn't it be you know mike trout or anything like that but just contribute positively and it just it's very obvious to see now that the angels don't believe that they have a guy that can do that you would think it would be joe adele he was up for the Friday game, he was going to be, you think he would have been here for a little bit longer, but he ended up getting sent down again with Jonathan Diaz on Saturday or on Friday night. And then Saturday you had Mike Trout come back. You had uh, Luis Renjifo back and you also uh, activated um, or selected the contract of Daniel Davis, another pitcher. They brought up that it looks like he's going to be a bullpen arm. So Still a lot of lot of questions about this team, a lot of moves that are still scratching, making you know fans scratch their head, and um, you would love to know the truth of why things like that happen and not just the media part of it or why they have to be so kind of media savvy and when answering questions. Sometimes I, I wish you would really find out the real reason why some of these things, some of these moves were made. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll recap everything that happened on Saturday night from the City Connect jerseys to the home runs to uh, another cycle in Angels history. So hold on. We'll be right back after this. Today's episode of the All Angels podcast is brought to you by SportsDrink, your digital water cooler. SportsDrink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and hate your favorite team. A rising tide floats all boats, so go check them out online and on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in at S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. Spelled like sports drink without the vowels. And we're back. So obviously t- Saturday night, huge night, fun night. Um, a lot of anticipation for Saturday, even before the game started because it was the first game of the Los, or Los Angeles Angels City Connect uniforms. They got released earlier in the week. Uh, they went on sale. You started seeing more and more of the hats and the jerseys and stuff like that around Angel Stadium when you watched on the game or just in there in person. But Saturday was going to be the first on-field um, debut, if you will, of the City Connect uniforms. 
So obviously there's a lot of anticipation for that. A lot of people like it. I myself was very kind of skeptical, I guess, at first, was very unsure about it at first, especially when the when the photos, when just the photos came out. I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but I can say over the last week or so, it has definitely started growing on me. The The jersey concept of it has started really growing on me. I like that it they didn't obviously go for a regular just white color. It's a cream kind of color, and you've seen a lot of teams go to that now, whether it's the Mariners. I think the, the Brewers have a cream color also, but you start seeing it more kind of bounce around uh, in the major leagues from different teams, so I like that. The hat itself was okay. Um, I bought the hat. That's the one I bought. I didn't buy the jersey. I'm not a jersey person. I bought the hat. Um, it was okay. And I know none of them, none of the other City Connect hats for the other teams have anything on there that says like City Connect or anything like that. But as a whole, I wish they did. They all did. If you look at a spring training hat or you look at an all-star hat, there's always like a patch or a something on there that that specifies the year or what it is. I felt like they really missed out on the opportunity to have a city connect type of logo that can go on all the city connect hats that, that, you know, something to make it feel like limited edition city connect, something to make it stand out like that. I felt like there was a missed opportunity there when looking at the hats, the hat was kind of, you know, the A is a little different, but it's not really different. A lot of people are comparing it to like a Disney type of logo, maybe not the periwinkle a, but still kind of Disney, ish have a vibe to it and maybe because it was in anaheim that's the vibe they were going for i don't know but i can tell why people aren't necessarily thrilled about that hat and it's an okay hat but um it's okay uniform overall i don't think it's the worst of the worst of the city connect ones out there already i don't think it's the best city connect out there by any means but i do think there are some positives about it um you know like i said the jersey itself is actually trying to grow on me um, the whole beach vibe, like I, I guess that's cool, even though Anaheim is still another 25 minutes away from, from the beach, I, I think, depending on traffic. So I guess if you're looking at it from a person in Nebraska or Kansas or whatever, you don't really recognize how close or how far <laughs> the water is actually from Anaheim, especially when you watch it on TV, all the aerial shots of like Manhattan Beach and the Santa Monica Pier and all that stuff, even though it's not really like they make it feel like it's like down the street from Angel Stadium and it's, <laughs> and it's really not. But I guess, like I said, I, I understand the overall theme. I, I, I dig it. Um, some of the shirts are pretty cool, but, you know, City Connect uniforms are a, a solid B minus in my eyes, you know, there's some good things. There's some things that I wish they did more of. Um, let me know what you guys think of the city connect uniforms. Angels warm on Saturday, obviously, but they did so well. They warm on Sunday, Sunday's result, as you heard, didn't go as good as Saturday. So who knows when the next time we will see these uniforms, um, in the angels rotation. Some people are saying they should be, you know, once a week kind of in the rotation. Some people say they should be once a month or, you know, whatever, but Angels necessarily don't have a big reputation of having a lot of jerseys in their rotation. So I'll be really interested to see how often this City Connect uniform pops up for the Angels. And when it does, are they going to go all beach vibe, even at Angels Stadium? You really felt that with the music they played and the the graphics changed and all that stuff um, at Angels Stadium for the City Connect. Are they going to do that every single time they wear those uniforms? And if they face a team like, let's say, 
Chicago, you know, Chicago White Sox, even though I know they played them at, at Chicago already, but will they bust them out on the road? Because Chicago White Sox uniforms are all black. Are they going to bust them out against the Dodgers if the Dodgers decide to go with their City Connect uniforms that are all blue and it'd be very easy for the Angels to wear their cream color um, uniform? So it'll be really interesting to see if they kind of do that against Houston. Houston's is dark blue. Are they? Can they bust them out against at in in Houston? I'd be really interested to see if that works or how that works out with the um, City Connect uniform. So that was the big thing coming into Saturday's game was the City Connect uniforms, and then probably about a couple hours before the game starts, we found out that Mike Trout will be back in the lineup, coming back from that groin injury that made him miss about um, I want to say like five games, maybe six games. But he was back, and when you look at the lineup, you make some little substitutions here and there. You put Ward back in the lineup, but other than that, you put Ward in for Lagares. Other than that, this team is looked like it's pretty much opening day team. I mean, you have Marsh, Trout, Otani, Rendon, Walsh, Dassey, Lagares, Renjifo, Velasquez. So again, you put Wade or Ward in there for Lagares, and you have a very close to your opening day lineup for the first time in, in in some time so that was kind of an exciting part too when you look at the rosters getting made up and, and posted so the angels would definitely strike first and dry, and strike quick when Shoyo Otani would double on a fly ball to right field allowing Brandon Marsh to score Shohei Otani went all the way to third on a um, throwing error when they tried to get Brandon at the plate and slid in head first did a little swim move and it worked out really good so you're able to get a Shohei all the way to third and get a run scored within the first two first three guys of the game and getting up early like they need like I truly feel they need to get on some of these guys early before they settled in and that's exactly what they did because Anthony Rendon would come up next and he would double that would allow Shohei Otani to score Anthony Rendon, again, like I said before on past podcasts, I feel like he's going to be a very, very streaky guy through the rest of the season. You're probably going to see very good stretches of Anthony Rendon at the plate as far as uh, multi-base hits and extra base hits and all that stuff. But I also do believe there will be times where he is um, cold and times where he is going to struggle. I don't think I think the the true, true, consistent Anthony Rendon that people saw with the Nationals and during the World Series and all that time, I don't necessarily know if that guy's still going to pop up. I can see him producing like that guy at times, but I just don't know if it's going to be as much as us fans would enjoy it being. But either way, Angels take a lead um, out of the first inning 2-0, so you had to be really feeling feeling good about yourself. And with Michael Lorenzen on the mound, you always felt you know he pitches better at home, and that's exactly what he did. Um, in this game, got himself into a little bit of jams here and there, but it was he made it, he made getting out of it look very very easy. I will say that Michael Lorenzen had a great great day on the mound, but in the bottom of the third, it's always good when you can get to the pitcher even more, and that's exactly what Mike Trout did when he hit his 15th home run of the year. Nito behind the plate. That one is driven. That one is crushed. It is absolutely hammered by Mike Trout and gone. Homer for Trout, he's back again. So that would make the score 3-0 Angels. And it would be like that all the way to the fifth inning. 
And at the top of the fifth inning, like I mentioned, Michael Lorenzen got into a little bit of a jam in that inning with two guys on, but he was able to work out of it very, very easily. Uh, two guys on, he was able to strike out two and get another one to line out to get out of that jam. And in the bottom of the inning, it's always good when your pitcher does well to get out of a situation, you reward him with more runs because Mike Trout comes up with a double and right behind him with Shohei Otani, and he hits this absolute missile. Do I hit three for three? Otani, gone! Two-run blast for Otani! That would obviously give the Angels a 5-0 lead after five. So like I mentioned, um, Lorenzen did great. Lorenzen keeps on getting help, and that's the one thing I found with this team that is, is frustrating because they will have, and this has been an issue for me all season long, even when things were rolling good, is that they'll have huge first inning, maybe even the second inning, but after that they they go cold. They don't put hits back-to-back back together again. They don't. It doesn't seem like they take very good at-bats. But on this game on Saturday, they were able to, to score multiple runs in multiple innings because in the sixth inning, Andrew Velasquez hits this home run, his fourth of the year. That one's hit pretty well to center field. Going back to the wall. And that one is out of here. That's another home run for Squid. Velasquez makes it 6 nothing, Angels. And only two batters later in that very same inning, Mike Trout, who again is just making his return from a groin injury and finding out in the postgame interview, he didn't really swing a bat at all during that time off. But you couldn't tell because when he comes up in the sixth inning, he hits another absolute bomb. And Mike Trout hammers another one. Multi-homer game for Mike Trout. Two-run shot. And that would make the score 8-0 after six. So we're going to the top of the seventh, and this is where Michael Lorenzen's night would end. After giving up two leadoff singles, uh, he was able to get a single ground out, and after that it was lifted for Aaron Loop. Aaron Loop would end up giving up an inherited runner, so that's why that earned run is on Michael Lorenzen's record. But other than that, he had a very, very good outing, Michael did. He ended up going six and a third, giving up six hits, one run, one walk, four strikeouts, and doing all of that on 96 pitches. So obviously the pitch count up there. Uh, I thought it was a good time to pull him. A lot of people would wanted him to probably try to get out of it, but with the score the way it was, there's no reason to push him any further than, than needs to be. I think it's still known that he is a reliever converting back to being a starting pitcher. So you, I think he is definitely one of those guys that only have X amount of bullets in the chamber before he starts feeling some kind of fatigue. So if you can save those for down the line, I think that's a very good idea. What I did like, too, is that the Angel Stadium did give him a very big applause as he went off the field. Fans understanding how much the Angels needed a start like that from a starter, especially after Jonathan Diaz um, start the night before. So a lot of people were there and showed Michael Lorenzen the proper amount of respect when he came off uh, the mound and off the field. But 
the Angels were not done yet scoring or even so much making history because in the top of or the sorry the bottom of the seventh, Jared Walsh would come up and hit this home run. I'd love him to stick around all day, but you never oh, know. My. We might see a home run. Do it for the kids, why don't you? Jared Walsh! Woo! Yeah, baby! Yeah! Yeah, guys! Yes! And even though this home run was in the seventh, there was something kind of building for Jared Walsh throughout this whole game because in the third inning, he puts this hit into play. You go, I go. Alex hit well right over the head. And then you fast forward a little bit to the fifth inning, and he's able to find a gap to put him on second base. Jared Walsh looking to go the other way. Does that have gap on it? It does. Off the wall. Two out double for Jared Walsh. And like I mentioned, in the seventh inning, he hit that home run, which means he was a single double home run and only a triple away from the cycle. A triple that I believe at this point in his career, he only had three of them his whole career. And um, I think it was uh, Andrew from Angels Top Plays posted something right after this game saying that he had an opportunity for a cycle last year, which was a, a, a triple shot of the cycle, and he wasn't able to get it. And he said something in this post-game uh, interview that an outfielder would have to fall down and, and stumble or something like that for him to get to third base because uh, he's not exactly the the – the fastest guy on the team. But in the eighth inning, with only a triple left before the cycle, an outfielder did fall down, and he did get the cycle. Driven to center. Is it going to get down? Oh, look out! out! Look out! It gets to center field! He's going to do it! He's in there! What a game! The cycle for Jared Walsh, and look at his teammates. Oh, wow. Life is good. Life is great for Walshy. So that would obviously be the Angels, Angels' ninth cycle in team history, done by the eighth different player because Jim Fergosi did it twice in 1964 and 1968. So... This is the first cycle since Shohei Otani did one in 2019 in Tampa Bay, but the first one at home since Mike Trout cycle in 2013. And Jared Walsh, again, was able to get um, to third base because of the diving play that didn't happen and the ball getting by the outfielder. And this was his quote after the game about the triple. Quote, I think he broke back on it for a second. Then I saw him dive. I was like, all right, legs. Let's see what we've got left here, end quote. So it definitely seems like once he saw that ball get by the defender, he was just going to go for the triple no matter what, and he did it. So great, great, great night for Jared Walsh, one that he definitely will not forget. Uh, I, I think the cool part of it, it, it being in like the City Connect uniforms, now you have a definitive moment in Angels history with the City Connect uniform. So whenever you talk about it or show a clip about this cycle that you're going to, you're going to remember that the uniforms and what they were, even if it's, you know, 10, 15 years into the future and stuff like that. So I think that was pretty cool that he did it there. And I actually mentioned it a little bit, um, after the game, 
Uh, I kind of hope now that the Angels promotions or whoever's in charge of making the stadium giveaway type of type of stuff throughout the year hopefully now they're able to um, start recognizing some of the other players in this organization yes trout is great yes otani's once in a lifetime type of player but you don't need to have every bobblehead in a stadium giveaway set be about those two guys or different versions of those two guys like i think now hopefully next year they'll have a reed detmer's no hitter bobblehead hopefully the and then next year also they'll have now a jared walsh cycle bobblehead that needs to have the city connect uniforms on it now because i think that'd be that would be such a huge letdown imagine having a jared walsh cycle bobblehead next year in in just regular angel white uniforms i think that would be such a disservice to the fans and that would be such an angel move to do but hopefully that doesn't happen but hopefully now with some of the good moments that have happened this year so far angels are now hopefully be able to you know uh promote those guys promote the younger guys promote the guys that you're looking to be be your future because i think you know having trout and and otani on every bobblehead is getting kind of played off right now and i definitely think it needs to change but but going back to the game on saturday they would bring in oliver otega to handle the last two innings of the game and he would struggle mightily in those last two innings, giving up uh, three hits, but giving up five runs. One of them earned on three strikeouts. And that one error that they mentioned in the ninth inning was an error by Jared Walsh. But if you look at that play, it didn't necessarily look like it should be called an error. I don't, I don't know if they can go back and um, change it. I don't know if they can, you know, go back in history and not call it an error or whatever. But that was a very kind of borderline call as far as the scoring of that play. But Oliver Tega, I think, is one of those guys that we mentioned before. When you come into the major leagues and you're a rookie, and yeah, you could have good stuff, you will surprise guys at the, at the plate as far as movement or just pure stuff you have. But it seems like now guys are now have a book on him, now know how to approach him. And he's been struggling the last few outings he's had like I mentioned, coming into the season, he he looked really, really good. And now people look like they're making the, the 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 change and being able to see what he does and what his kind of repertoire is now. Now it's going to be up to Oliver to um, change himself. Now it's going now it's going to be up to him to now how does he tweak his game to again find to catch these guys off guard like he did in the beginning of the year. So he's had a really rough couple of outings um, in the past month or so. And after the game, he was actually optioned down to AAA Salt Lake, but that was to make room for Austin Warren's return. He was activated prior to Sunday's game. He pitched on Saturday in Salt Lake, so I wasn't necessarily expecting him to pitch on Sunday or even really be activated on Sunday, but it was great to see that he's back with the Angels and back um, doing well after suffering that broken nose out in Fenway on a completely kind of a fluke uh batting practice accident so i mean you're talking about surgery from a broken nose and back in the lineup in probably about a month so good on him and hopefully he's a guy that the angels bullpen can definitely rely on going forward but the angels would end up winning saturday's game 6 to 11 um on city connect night so again very very special night yeah the city connect uniforms you had jerry walsh's uh cycle you had five home runs you had two by trout it was one of those games where I think as Angel fans, you sit there and you see that and you watch that and you're just like, yeah, this is what the team is capable of. 
and then you kind of put out a clunker like they did on Sunday as far as not scoring any runs really and struggling to keep the Mets off the board and you just kind of have to ask yourself well what's the big difference between Saturday and Sunday but hopefully Saturday is a glimpse into what could be for the Angels moving forward now that everyone is getting healthy and talking about getting healthy the reports are one other big bat should be coming back by Tuesday against the Dodgers and that is Taylor Ward who has been honestly he's been hurt for a while you remember him running into the wall and really jacking up his shoulder even though he didn't go on the IL at that point he missed um I think a week a week's worth of games he just did not seem right when then when he was out there he ended up getting scratched for a hamstring which put him on the IL which I think was the best move the Angels could do because like I mentioned ever since he hit that wall he just was not the same, even though he had the time off to, to deal with the arm issue, the nerve issue. And I don't even know if that was fully healed coming back. He didn't seem comfortable in the outfield. He didn't seem comfortable at the plate. But now that he was able to go on the IL, he's going to be back, or at least the reports are that he's going to be back to start the series against the Dodgers. The Angels and the Dodgers are squaring off on a short two-game series on Tuesday and Wednesday at Dodgers Stadium. So not only is Ward back, but you will have Noah Syndergaard on the mound against Tony Goslin, who has been probably the Dodgers' best pitcher all year. You have Walker Buehler now, I believe, going to the IL. You had Urias now really struggling in San Francisco during the weekend, and Tony Goslin has picked up their slack. He is 7-0 with a 1.58 ERA, striking out 54 batters to compare it. Noah Syndergaard is 4-4 four four with a 3.69 ERA, striking out 30. So, again, Noah's having a really good year, too. And you're just hoping now that he's able to keep the Angels in the game long enough to hopefully the Angels can get hot and put some runs on the board because Tony Gosselin is going to be definitely one of the better pitchers they have faced all year long. And that is going to happen again Tuesday night at Dodger Stadium, 7 o'clock start. And then we go to Wednesday night game, both games at 7-10. This game, you'll have Reed Detmers on the mound going back to Dodger Stadium where he made his MLB debut. Reed Detmers right now is 2-2 two two with a 3.83 ERA, striking out 32. And he, they, and he is facing Tyler Anderson of the Dodgers lefty, 7-0 with a 3.07 ERA with 55 strikeouts. So Angels definitely have work ahead of them with the Dodgers but the good news is they've always seemed to play the Dodgers very very well regardless of the Dodgers record or the Angels record there's something about it where both games are played very well and very close and that's exactly what you're hoping for as Angel fans right now is keep the game close and hopefully someone comes up clutch late in in the later innings and you know Russell had a very tough game today uh, on Sunday against the Mets, giving up a home run to Pete Alonso. And there's a little talk about, um, not necessarily that he's easy to kind of figure out, but I found it kind of concerning that uh, in the post-game interview, Pete Alonso was talking to ESPN, and in that interview, they asked him, Lindor said something to Alonso right before he went up to the plate against Rossell, and Alonso said it was something as simple as, oh yeah, his fastball does this. So if his fastball is easy to be kind of scouted out that way and people are able to make quick adjustments on that fastball, 
what does that mean for Rossell going forward as a closer? Is he going to be the guy that they paid all the money for? Or are they going to, is he going to regress back to average? So that's going to be something to definitely pay attention to. And hopefully Rossell has a opportunity to close out a couple of games out in LA. And this will wrap up a very, like I mentioned, a very, very tough stretch of games for the angels dating back to New York, to Philadelphia, um, to the Mets, and now finishing with the Dodgers. So this has been a very, very, very tough stretch for the Angels. The good news is it does get easier after the Dodgers, and not looking too much, you know, too much ahead after the Dodgers. But after that, they fly up to Seattle, where they're going to play five games in four days. So that means Saturday's game is going to be another one of those double headers. You remember when they had one up in um, Oakland last month? But after that, they come back home. They play Kansas City for three, a team that's been really struggling. And then you have Seattle, who's, again, um, still trying to find their footing. And then the Chicago White White Sox at home, who, again, also has been struggling to finish out the month of June. And if you can finish out the month of June with the remaining, let me quickly do the math in my head. That is 16 games left in this month. Realistically, I would say the Angels should be able to finish above 500 with the teams they're playing for the rest of the month. You know, I think 10 wins isn't out of the question, but again, you have to hope that Ward comes back healthy, fully healthy, and back to Ward in the beginning of the season. That Ward that was very timid after running into the wall, you got to hope that the pitching kind of maintains it. Starting pitching hasn't done bad except for that sixth spot in the rotation, but Lorenzen has been good, Syndergaard has been better. Um, you know, Sandoval did really well on Sunday. Otani's been amazing. So if those guys can continue doing what they do on the pitching side of it, and you just hope now Ward back is that spark offensively to start scoring more runs more consistently, then yeah, I don't see why the Angels could not finish with at least 10 more wins to finish out the season. And then after that, or the month, sorry, then after that, you know, where does that put the team relative to the wild card spot. And I think that's going to be something to really be interested to see once we do start July on July 1st, which is a Friday. So I don't think the angels are out of it completely yet, but you did do need to start putting some wins back to back. Yes. Great. Someone mentioned on Twitter, I will never take an angels win for granted again, which is fine, which is great, which I totally understand. But at the same time, it's like, you also guys are putting wins back to back to back a little bit here if you really want to contend for a playoff spot. So if the Angels want to continue for contend for a playoff spot, I think 10 wins by the end of this month with the remaining schedule they have isn't out of the question. So we'll have to wait and see. Maybe I'll put up a poll up and see what you guys think on our Instagram and follow us on Halo underscore Haven, both on Twitter and on Instagram. Best way to reach us. Slide into the DMs. I like talking to you guys. I talk to you guys all the time on there. Uh, and if you guys ever have any questions for the podcast or you want a question answered on the podcast, um, go ahead and just say that like in the message. Say, this is for the podcast, but I want to ask this question. Because um, sometimes it is a little bit harder to answer questions on on Instagram through the DMs. Just because, you know, typing out, is, is <laughs> typing out a long specified answer can get kind of tedious a little bit. So, again... Uh, before we leave, I will have a let's do a standings update just now that all the games are over on Sunday night. Angels right now are sitting at 29 and 33, nine games out of first place in the AL West. 
but they are three and a half games out of that last wild card spot that Boston currently holds. Tampa Bay has the second wild card spot and Toronto with the first. So again, they do have work to do, but it's not out of the question yet. Three games, three and a half games out right now is nothing. That's a, a very good week of play can get you right back in that wild card spot. So hopefully the angels put it together. Hopefully after the Dodgers series, we'll come back and talk about a split, at least a split. If it's a sweep, that'd be great. But if they can get a split with who the Dodgers are throwing out there pitching wise, I would definitely take it. And then the schedule theoretically gets a lot easier after that. And hopefully the angels would be able to take advantage of that situation going into July. So Again, too, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can, like I mentioned before, you can DM us um, on our social media feeds, Halo underscore Haven, both on Twitter and on Instagram, or leave a voicemail on our voicemail line, 951-384-0810. Again, that's 951-384-0810. So we'll be back on wednesday night recording an episode after the dodgers series that comes out and then we'll put it out um the next morning thursday morning so if you have any questions or reaction to that series make sure you get it in before then i am your host daniel garcia this has been another edition of the all angels podcast Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.